This is a podcast from Delance Healing Church. We meet every Sunday morning at 10.30 in the Delance Healing Church building at Le Bank St. Sampson's in the Channel Islands of Guernsey. To contact us or to find out more information about us, please visit our website at delancehealing.co.uk. So let's pick up the story again. So from prison, overnight, he's prime minister of the country. One day he's in prison, the next, the next day he's the governor of the country or the prime minister or the equivalent of in today's story. Because he interpreted Pharaoh's two dreams. I found out it was interesting that he had two dreams and then Pharaoh, and that led him, because of his um, talking about it, it led him into problems and then Pharaoh has two dreams, which brings him right out of his problems. And it was this whole area of, 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 uh, around that district, that Egypt and Canaan, right up around there. They, had, they, had, they were going to have seven years of bumper crops. There was so much grain in the years of abundance that it was immeasurable. Genesis 41, 49, Joseph stored up huge quantities of grain like the sand of the sea. It was so much that he stopped keeping records because it was beyond measure. Can you say beyond measure? Thank you. You you, you know, it calms my nerves if you talk to me. (laughs) Then, of course, there would be seven years of famine as predicted by God through Pharaoh's dreams. The first year into the famine and Joseph's family in Canaan are experiencing hunger pains. And as recorded in Genesis 42, so we'll just read that out. When Jacob learned that there was grain in Egypt, he said to his sons, why do you just keep looking at each other? He continued, I've heard that there's grain in Egypt. Go down there and buy some for us so that we may live and not die. Then ten of Joseph's brothers went down to buy grain from Egypt. But Jacob did not send Benjamin, Joseph's brother, with the others because he was afraid that harm might come to him. So Israel's sons were among those who went to buy grain, for the famine was in the land of Canaan also. Now Joseph was the governor of the land, and one who sold grain to all its people. So when Joseph's brothers arrived, they bowed down to him with their faces to the ground. As soon as Joseph saw his brothers, he recognized them, but he pretended to be a stranger and spoke harshly to them. Where do you come from, he asked. From the land of Canaan, they replied, to buy food. Although Joseph recognized his brothers, they did not recognize him. Then he remembered his dreams about them, and he said to them, You are spies. You have come to see where our land is unprotected. No, my lord, they answered. Your servants have come to buy food. We are all the sons of one man. Your servants are honest men, not spies. No, he said to them, You have come to see where our land is unprotected. But they replied, Your servants were twelve brothers the sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest, is now, the youngest is now with our father, and one is no more. And so they go on to have this conversation, one with the other. <clears throat> so they hear that there's plenty of food in Egypt, and Jacob decides to send ten of his sons to go down there 
and, and, and to, to buy some grain. When they come to the, to the selling warehouse, they see, Jacob, uh, they see Joseph there, their long-lost brother. But he, they don't recognise him. He, he recognises them, but they don't recognise him. He's no longer a teenager. By now, he's probably pretty close to 40 years old. He's not dressed in his coat of collars because they'd torn that off of him. He's now dressed in fine clothes. He's, um, in Genesis 41, 42, it says, Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He puts them in prison on the, under the pretense of them being spies. He then keeps Simeon in prison and sends the rest back to their father. And then if you can read up right when, probably when you get home, chapters 41, 42. 42 verse 25, Joseph gave orders to fill their bags with grain to put each man's silver back in his sack and to give them provisions for their journey. After this was done for them, they, they loaded their grain on their donkeys and left. And then going up through chapter 43, the following year, they're hungry again. They've, they've used all their grain. The famine is still there. And they have this dialogue with their father Jacob. Look, we've got to go and get some, some or Jacob says, you've got to go and get some grain. They say, well, we can't unless Benjamin comes with us. So it, finally he agrees to let Benjamin go. Joseph here seems to have teased them in, in what he's done with them. Those years which Joseph spent in slavery and prison could have been the occasion for a slow burn that might have ignited into an explosion of, of anger at the sight of his brothers. <clears throat> How angry Joseph could have been with God for getting him into such a situation. Or he could have been angry with, with the, the brothers for seemingly crushing his dreams. Or he could have been angry with his brothers who had callously sold him into slavery. But Joseph recognises that God was with him in his sufferings and that the, these were from the loving hand of a sovereign God. I noticed as, uh, that a lot of the problems that counsellors have to face is dealing with family issues, family disputes, family disagreements. So the key to, the, to victory is forgiveness. Can you say victory? That's it. I must admit that I find this a, a, a very difficult subject to get to grips with, the, the subject of forgiveness. I'm not therefore going to sort of preach to you today, but I'll be speaking to me. And I just want you to listen to my thoughts. We studied last year when I was on that psychology course, uh, we studied the subject of forgiveness for a whole weekend. And at the end, uh, Margaret, some of you know, our tutor said to us, we've only just scratched the surface. I looked at my file yesterday from last year and it's thick on that, just on forgiveness. I closed it quick and put it away, by the way. <clears throat> it's a big subject. And Joseph held no grievances against those who had harmed him. When after 20 years or so, 13 of which were unpleasant, he again met his brothers, the ones who were instrumental in causing his suffering. Suffering. Joseph had no bitterness in his heart against them. He forgave them freely, even before they asked forgiveness. Forgiveness is a vital part of the Christian experience, is necessary 
in items of our relationship with God. I then read this in Matthew 6, 14. If you forgive men for their transgressions, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men, then your Father will not forgive your transgressions. Strong words, aren't they? Forgiveness is also an essential part of our responsibility towards others, both friends and enemies. If you look at Ephesians 4, verse 31, it says, Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with envy from every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ God forgave you. Matthew 5, 43. You have heard that it was said, You shall love your neighbour and hate your enemy. But I say to you, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you in order that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. I feel that I must then seek to learn the lessons of forgiveness with which this chapter offers. So here they are, second time, back in Egypt. Again, along, well, this time, along with their, their brother Benjamin, who incidentally had the same mother as we read about as Joseph. And through a series of things orchestrated by Joseph, they find themselves in this house, in his house, in front of, the, in front of him, accused of theft. The day before, they, he'd fed them, gave them a meal, they slept the night, then he sent them off, and he'd put money and, a, and, a, and his, his silver goblet in Benjamin's sack. Then he sent his servant off to say, go and catch up with them, open the sack and then bring them back. A speech to the speechless. So we, let's really have a good look. I really wanted to have a good look at Genesis chapter 45. <clears throat> then Joseph could no longer control himself before all his attendants and he cried out have everyone leave my presence so there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers and he wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household heard about it Joseph said to his brothers I'm Joseph is my father still living so Joseph reveals himself to his brothers before they had evidence because, rather, they had evidenced real repentance. All this sort of teasing that he had with them, it was because he wanted to see what their heart was like. And, and um, he was, wanted to make sure that they were repentant and they'd made that, that reconciliation could be possible. If you read in chapter 42, verse 21, the brothers said to one another, Surely we are being punished because of Joseph. We saw how distressed Joseph was when we put him in the pit and he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you to sin against, not to sin against the boy, but you wouldn't listen? Now you must give an account for his blood. They did not realise that Joseph could understand them since all that time he'd been using an interpreter. Verse 28, their hearts sank and they turned to each other, trembling and said, what is this that God has done to us? Chapter 44, verse 16. What can we say to my Lord, they say to Joseph. What can we say? How can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. We are now my Lord's slaves. 
So it was time that Joseph revealed himself to his brothers. Here we have it in verse 3 of chapter 45. Joseph wished this to be done alone. I don't believe he commanded everyone to leave except his brothers in order to deal, well I believe that he, he, did, he, he wanted it to do, to deal with that sin privately. He didn't want the Egyptians to hear about it. I, I think that's really good. If Joseph intended for no one but his brothers to observe the outpouring of his emotions, it, it didn't work. He, he got hold of him so hard and so strong and he cried so loud that the Egyptians in the next room heard about it and it obviously got reported on to uh, Pharaoh himself. Previously, I've tended to read the next few verses, chapter, uh, verses 3 to 15, from Joseph's perspective. And I wasn't really taking too much attention to what uh, the brothers would have thought and what they would have felt. But let's read that, um, those, those verses there. Joseph said to his brothers, I'm Joseph. If my father's still living, but his brothers were not able to answer him because they were terrified at his presence. Then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. When they had done so, he said, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now do not be distressed and do not be, be angry with yourselves for selling me here because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. For two years now there has been famine, famine in the land and for the next five years there will not be ploughing or reaping. But God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. So then it was not you who sent me here but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. Now hurry back to my father and say to him, this is what your son Joseph says. God has made me Lord of all Egypt. Come down to me, don't delay. You shall live in the region of Goshen and shall be near you and, and, and be you shall live in the region of Goshen and be near me, you, your children and grandchildren, your flocks and herds, and all you have. I will provide for you there because five years of famine are still to come. Otherwise you and your household and all who belong to you will become destitute. You can see for yourselves and so can my brother Benjamin. That is really I who am speaking to you. Tell my father about all the honour accorded to me in Egypt and about everything you have seen and bring my father down here quickly. Then he threw his arms around his brother Benjamin and wept and Benjamin embraced him weeping and he kissed all his brothers and wept over all them. Afterwards, his brothers talked with him. Put yourself in the brother's sandals. They had been treated quite well by, by Joseph, really. I know he'd accused them, he'd put them in prison, but then they were out and they'd gone and they came back and he fed them uh, and, and they slept the night and then he sent them off. And here they are back again. And they'd been given hospitality, bountiful provision, then they were stopped and searched, each of them being found with their money in their sack and Benjamin's cup in his possession. Their guilt was acknowledged and all were willing to remain as Joseph's slaves, but Joseph refused to detain any except Benjamin, the guilty party. You read that in the last few verses of chapter 44. Judah then made an impassioned appeal for mercy on his aged father, offering himself in place of Benjamin. 
they could perhaps see then the tears flowing down his cheeks and then this loud outburst, his, his, his heart uh, sort of pounding and, and, and his great emotion. And they must have thought, was it anger? Um, are they ang- is he angry with me? Which could lead to further trouble. How could it be otherwise? And if they thought that was bad enough, then worse was to come. He then blurts out in their language, because up to now he'd been speaking in Egyptian, he then blurts out in their language, I'm Joseph. That was the worst news they could ever have hoped to hear. <laughs> that didn't bring them any relief, but only new avenues of anxiety. Anxiety. It was bad enough to stand before a powerful Egyptian governor who was angered at the theft of a cup. But to realise that he was their brother whom they had sold into slavery and told their father that he was dead, that was too much. Before they at least had a hope that this judge would give them, be impartial uh, and, and maybe give them an, a, a right of appeal. But now their judge must surely be their enemy whom they had unjustly condemned. How could they cope or hope for better treatment from him? And it says there in verse 3 that they, they were petrified. They, they couldn't speak. They were, they were speechless. Fear and guilt were written on their faces. They must have feared for their lives. And their silence confirms this to Joseph. They had nothing more to say. No more appeals. No hope for mercy. And every word that we read, recorded in those first 15 verses, was spoken by Joseph. He had not, they had nothing to say. They were speechless. Not until Joseph had demonstrated that he had forgiven them and loved them, only then at the end did they speak. Joseph's first words declined, declared his identity, followed quickly by an indication of concern about his father. He, like Judah and the others, cared greatly for their elderly father. The thought of Jacob's grief was unbearable to Joseph as well as to the rest of them. But he also cared for his brothers. They must have shrunk back from him in horror. But he said to them in verse 4, come close. This is the way forgiveness works. Revelation, repentance, and then restoration. Revelation, all of a sudden they realise it's Joseph. When was Paul was on the road to Damascus, he had this blinding life. Jesus re- revealed himself to Paul. When the disciples didn't know who it was when they were on the lake, Jesus said, it is I, don't be afraid. Revelation. Nigel, you've put your great foot in it again. Oh, so I did. Lord, I'm sorry. I did or said said whatever I said to that person. Will you forgive me? Repentance. The Apostle Paul then, right on the road to Damascus, he repented, he turned to Jesus. And then we have restoration. He restores me and hopefully my relation my relationship with that person 
Nowhere in this chapter is the sin of his brothers minimised. You, you see, he, he said to them in verse 4, but you sold me into Egypt. At that very outset, Joseph identified the treatment they had given him as sinful. Forgiveness does not seem to minimise sin, but it neutralises it. We must remember, though, that they have already come to the point of recognising their actions of sin. They've repented. Actually, they'd repented before they had revelation. Most cases in our situations, we have revelation, then we repent, then we are restored. He reminds them of what they had done, although in his heart he had already forgiven them. The overriding thing is that he sees God's hand in the last 20-odd years that had passed, and he forgives them. It's as if he steps back a pace, or a pace or two, and he sees the big picture of the whole situation from a distance and an overview of things. Sometimes we get so close to problems, we get so close to difficulties, and we can't see, as we say, the wood for the trees. We can't see that we're hurting somebody. We can't see that we're treading on their toes. Joseph's words are filled with hope and encouragement. And he assures them that, and particularly verse 5 and 7, that, that their sin had not thwarted the purposes of God. You sold me, Joseph said, but God sent me. There was purpose there to destroy, but God was to save. Can you say save? save. Yeah. Men may sin by attempting to do what is unacceptable to God, while at the same time they are accomplishing what God has purposed. Have you noticed, have you ever noticed, I've noticed this, how God seems to do opposites? You know, what was seemed to be to his destruction was for salvation. It was our sin that put Christ to death. But it was his death that we, uh, by his death, that we have been saved. Acts 2.23, this man was handed over to you, said Peter, by God's set purpose and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him on a cross. The doctrine of the sovereignty of God, then, as we say, assures us that while men may do the wrong thing for the wrong reason, God caused that evil to accomplish his good and perfect purposes. In the final analysis, it was not his brothers who were responsible for sending Joseph to Egypt, but it was God for the purpose of bringing about salvation and the saving of many lives, and in fact in saving his own brothers' and family's lives. In the process, Joseph was elevated to his position of power and prominence. He became an advisor to Pharaoh and ruler over all Egypt. Look what their sin had brought about in Joseph's life. It was glory which Joseph desired to share unselfishly with his brothers. His motives would thus be Christ-like. With, Joseph, with this, Joseph fell upon the neck of his closest brother, Benjamin, and wept. Benjamin likewise wept on his neck. Finally, Joseph wept on the rest of his brothers, who in the end were relieved sufficiently to begin talking with him. It would be a long time before these men could follow, fully grasp the grace of forgiveness which was granted by Joseph. Also, Pharaoh is pleased. 
I thought it was quite unusual. If you, if you read verses 16 to 20 of chapter 45, it's incredible that Joseph's desire was to save his family rather than to, re- than to seek revenge. He virtually insisted that his brothers quick, leave quickly and bring down the entire family as soon as possible. But the icing on the cake was really, was the confirmation of Joseph's hospitality by none other than Pharaoh himself. It was seen that Joseph never informed Pharaoh of the injustice done to him by his brothers. Joseph did insist to the, brother, to the butler and the baker of Pharaoh that he was innocent, yet he didn't reveal the guilt of his brothers. While Joseph maintained his own innocence, he never exposed the guilt of his brothers or of Potiphar's wife. As a result, Pharaoh did not have to overcome any feelings of anger towards Joseph's brothers, because he didn't know the situation. And thus he could warmly welcome them as long-lost relatives who had finally found their way to their brother. Silence about the sins of others makes their restoration a much easier process. I find that incredible, that he just kept quiet. You know, if somebody does me wrong, sometimes I feel like telling somebody else about it. But silence kept meant that, that the whole situation was diffused. Pharaoh accepted his brothers quite easily. Before their departure to Canaan, Joseph gave his brothers provision for their journey as commanded by Pharaoh. You can read that at the end of uh, verses 21-24 of Genesis 45. As well as some last-minute instructions, Joseph sent his father ten donkeys loaded with the best that Egypt had to offer, the first fruits of what lay ahead. As they parted, it's quite interesting this, Joseph gave his brothers one last word of instruction. Don't quarrel on the way. As we read the scripture, it really causes us to smile. Joseph knew his brothers well. I imagine that quarrelling was a part of, of, of the bad report that he had given his father many years before. Being sons of four mothers, such rivalry, rivalry would not be uncommon. Probably the only thing they ever agreed upon completely was doing away with Joseph. They, like many of rival groups in Jesus' day as well, could only unite when it came to rejecting one who threatened them all. Joseph had good reason for supposing that his brothers might quarrel on the journey home. Not long before this, he had overheard a conversation which they didn't think he could understand. Although they were forgiven, they would face a great temptation to try to assess the precise measure of guilt of each person. The buck would be passed and a a heated argument would no doubt ensue. All of this was profitless since all had been forgiven. Their trip would be a happier one if they focused only on grace and they didn't focus on guilt. Jacob is rejuvenated. Jacob then hears the words, Joseph is alive. These words were impossible to leave believe. How could this be true? Hadn't his sons assured him that Joseph had died? Wasn't the evidence compelling? Now Jacob may have been old but he wasn't senile. Things just didn't add up. There had been some explaining to do. You must admit that as Jacob's as sons there got to him and they have to start explaining that Joseph was alive. They told him that he was dead. They showed him a Uh, his coat torn and and full of blood and they must have had red faces and they had to spell this out to him 
I'm persuaded that confession was made because it was necessary in order to convince Jacob that Joseph was alive. So if there's a key word to chapter 44, it's repentance. If there's a key word to chapter 45, it's forgiveness. These two elements are essential for any genuine and lasting reconciliation. Repentance and forgiveness. I must give careful attention to this matter of forgiveness as it is illustrated in the life of Joseph. The more I am aware of my own sinfulness and the forgiveness I have received, the easier then it should be for me to forgive others. The head of a large mental hospital once said, I could dismiss half of my patients tomorrow if they could be assured of forgiveness. Violent ethnic clashes on every continent are usually long-standing resentments breaking out in fresh attempts to settle old scores such as harsh realities caused. And why one, one secular philosopher said the only remedy for the inevitability of our history is forgiveness. What an incredibly gracious picture of forgiveness. Forgiveness is not something that comes easily or readily to many of us. There certainly isn't a lot of it floating around in, in this world today. For example, have you ever gone into a shop that had a pretty but very delicate merchandise? The kind of place that frowns at little children and the employee's blood pressure goes up 100 points as they see a six-year-old boy walk in the door. The kind of shop that says on the door or a window, thank you for enjoying your food and drink before you enter the shop. All these places also have the same sign on the inside. If you break it, can you pay for it? Can we have that one, please? I'm sorry, I have to rely on you. <laughs> I keep on pushing the wrong button. If you break it, you pay for it. That is the sign that the world puts up, isn't it? That is the sign that human beings so often put up in the areas of their lives. They put up the sign, I'm fragile, I'm delicate, I'm sensitive, I'm proud, I'm stubborn, I'm wounded, I'm hurt. If you break part of me, you're going to pay for it. The sign that the world puts up, if you break it, you'll pay for it. What does the sign say in God's shop? There's a lady, Susan Williams, and she tells how she tips toed through a gift shop filled with hundreds of extremely fragile items displayed on glass shelves. Pausing to uh, admire a one-of-a-kind sculpture of an English village, she strained to see as much detail as possible without actually touching the piece. Suddenly, a female voice behind her said, please pick it up if you like. Don't worry, she said with a smile. You can rely on our shop policy. And she pointed to a small sign on the display case which said, if you break it, please tell us so we can forgive you. Susan laughed and said, now that's what I call a novel idea in the business world. The woman nodded, since we put up the sign, breakage hasn't really changed, but it's wonderful how much more comfortable everybody feels. In fact, it's made such a difference in my own attitude that I took one of the signs home, and my kids love it. I guess it's human nature. There's something about knowing you'll be forgiving for a mistake that frees you to relax and enjoy. 
That is the story of forgiveness and love of God. God has put up a huge sign. It is Jesus on the cross. And that sign says unmistakably, if you break it, please tell me so I can forgive you. That is the reason why when Jesus teaches us how to pray, he includes asking us for forgiveness in the Lord's Prayer for our sins, as well as extending forgiveness to others. When we've broken God's commandments, when we've shattered a relationship, when delicate feelings are damaged, when pieces has cracked into divisiveness, when unity is split into discord, when families are fractured, when our faith is crumbling, that is the time to turn to God in prayer, asking for forgiveness. 1 John 1.8 is very familiar words, and it reminds us that every human being has a continual need for God's forgiveness. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. And the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. C.S. Lewis wrote, Everyone says forgiveness is a lovely idea until they have something to forgive. And then to mention the subject at all is to be greeted with howls of anger. If we, put to, if we were to put ourselves in the place of Joseph who was almost killed and then sold into slavery by his brothers, or in the place of those who we hear about in the news whose lives have been changed by horrific acts of evil or violence, or simply in our own situations, we might confess that we would find extending forgiveness excruciatingly difficult. But on the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. So as I try to forgive those who have hurt me in the past, I pray, Lord, give me the strength to forgive. Consider this. Joseph was a man who rose from a lowly shepherd boy to rule the mightiest empire of the ancient world, Egypt. We can trace no blemish, no laziness, no dishonesty, no foolishness, no lack of love in Joseph's record. In an age given over to sexual license, pride, greed and hate, as was ancient Egypt, probably no different today, Joseph's example shines forth with amazing brilliance. Joseph held no grievances against those who had harmed him. And when after 13 years of suffering, he again met his brothers who were instrumental in causing his suffering, Joseph had no bitterness in his heart against them. He forgave them freely, even before they asked for forgiveness. Am I like Joseph? I would like to be. I ought to be, but I really don't find it easy. After Jacob had died, if you look at chapter 50, the last book in Genesis, um, they come pleading to him again, and, and, and his brothers, and they say to him, oh, because he was alive, you know, you, you kept us all well, but now what are you going to do to us? And he was so upset, he wept again. To think that they'd been thinking like that about him. And these brothers all went down and fell before his face. That was the picture that he had when he was a boy. And Joseph said to them, don't be afraid, for, I'm in the place, for am I in the place of God? But as for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, in order to bring it about as it is this day to save many people alive. Father God, I just thank you for that, um, that message and that word to our hearts today, Lord. What, uh, what a subject and a topic for us all. 
just to learn about and to um, take on board. Father God, I thank you that we see that brilliant evidence of forgiveness in your cross and what you've done for us, Lord. And, and we stand today absolutely forgiven. And Lord, I pray that that revelation, that truth will help us in our lives to just extend that forgiveness to other people. Lord, I thank you for the example of Joseph towards us and just seeing that story again um, and just taking on board exactly what Joseph had to go through and, and just seeing afresh that, that idea of forgiveness and that he extended to his brothers. Lord, I pray that we would learn from that and we would take that on board today. Lord, I thank you so much that you forgive us and that all our sins tomorrow and, and for the rest of our days are already forgiven in you, Lord. How grateful we are to you for that, Lord. Thank you. Amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Delancey Elim Church. For more podcasts, information, or to contact us, please visit our website at delanceyelim.co.uk.